1: You know Rachel, wh- hosting a podcast with you, sometimes I forget um that you are or can be at least like a typical white girl sometimes. <laughs> okay. You know, sometimes sometimes I forget that you that, you know, just because you know we're both both in hockey, we're both, you know, like just so focused on this stuff that sometimes I forget that you know you can you can you can tap into your white girl roots because the other day I saw I just saw you post a a Starbucks drink that is I, like you need to explain it because I saw it and it was just the most like typical absurd. Like it was so it, it, I, it surprised me.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So if you've listened to this podcast for like long enough, you know that I'm highly, highly allergic to coffee. Um, like if I, if I smell it, like I can't physically walk in a Starbucks for longer than like 15 seconds or like, I won't be able to breathe properly.
1: Back. Yeah. I remember back in, Back, back like in in the early days of the of of the podcast like when you and I first started recording this like i remember it used to be at my old condo and i used and we used to record in the morning sometimes and i would have like i would have made my own coffee and i had to like basically drink it like away from you like a, it was almost like a quarantine type situation
0: Yeah like we were long we were more than 6 feet apart when that was happening
1: Yeah oh we like and that's if it's funny cuz that over maybe covid was like keeping us socially distant Exactly because it was me trying not to kill you with my cough my morning yeah, cough
0: So I've had to get creative in terms of like what I can drink at Starbucks right Um and I'm lucky one of my really close friends was a barista at Starbucks for 10 years and he's one of those Mm -hmm. people that's like super adventurous and he doesn't like coffee so he's tried like a bunch of different combinations um and he's come up with like a bunch of creative drinks and if they're good he recommends them to me so this particular thing um was a a ice white mocha sauce so it's like white white chocolate Mm -hmm. sauce um with almond milk like a bunch of almond milk and chocolate cream cold foam with hazelnut syrup. And basically, it tastes like a Kinder chocolate bar. Like Kinder Bueno. I don't know if you've ever had that.
1: Yeah, that sounds... I've, I have. It sounds really, yeah, really good. Yeah, it
0: actually is fantastic. I I know how to make it at home. It's pretty simple. Um, it sounds super complicated, but I, when I asked the barista, he's like, this is actually a super easy drink to make because they don't have to do any, like, espresso stuff or customizations. You literally, like pump two things of white chocolate, which they'd have to do anyways for an ice white mocha, pour the milk in, which they'd also have to do anyways, and make the foam, which they'd also have to do anyways. So it's all, like, you're basically skipping the espresso step, so it sounds complicated, and it looks complicated, but it's actually easier, but it's extreme white girly pop vibes.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, it is, yeah, you You absolutely slayed on like, that one I like can pull up
0: the app, like the Starbucks app And like maybe we'll post the screenshot Of like what it takes For me to order But like this is The long Order that it is Holy There's like smokes, six modifications man. to it That's
1: a novel <laughs> dude It's So it's funny because My mom, um, like growing up She was Obsessed with starbucks she still kind of is but like she was like she would have it it was crazy like the amount like uh, the amount of starbucks like it like legitimately like all the baristas knew her at the place like they like they knew her and and she knew like about their lives and stuff it was crazy and uh and so like i and i remember like you know if i was if she would always get me to run in and get her Mm -hmm. order and so I have it, like, seared into my brain. It's a grande, grande extra hot mocha with whipped cream in a venti cup. Oh. And the reason why she did that is because she wanted it, it a grande size but in a venti cup so they could fill the rest with whipped cream. That's
0: correct. Yes. <laughs> we love yes. Yeah,
1: and uh, it was wild. Speaking of drinks, and this we are not sponsored, although I would love to be sponsored by them. So I, I, uh, uh, you know, I was at the draft when BioSeal launched um, – like their partnership yes. with uh, the the NHL, and so they were giving out like free biosteel. And I remember drinking the the, the blue raspberry oh my flavor, God, it's and it was so like good. And it it was like love at first at, at at first sip, you know. And and ever since then, I've been addicted to it. And I'm currently just like sipping on. It is great. Biosteel, sponsor yeah, us. My, I love this drink. My um,
0: boyfriend, given what he does for a living, had access to unlimited bio steel so when i was really ill a couple of years ago um
1: oh this that helps he
0: got me the mango peach one because i'm a huge mango peach girl um Mm -hmm.
1: again she's a white girl so um, there you go
0: i got addicted to it to the point where i was having like four or five a day um and it really did help with my recovery because like BioSteel is not bad for oh, you. Like, yeah. I felt like I was ODing on BioSteel and now he doesn't because he like changed jobs. He doesn't get that access anymore and so I have to pay for my own BioSteel. It's terrible.
1: No. Especially given how I was going s- I was going to tell it. you. <laughs> I was going to tell you to like snag me a couple but man it is
0: We had BioSteel when I was Oh the man products. it was great. I had like 3 a day.
1: This is, uh, I, I love it. Like, and the thing is when I was running my marathon, um, like I would, I would have, I would do bio steel like before and after, yes. like it helped so much <laughs> and I go, yeah, like I didn't, the thing is like, I, I just didn't want to bring stuff with me. So I would always be like on the verge of passing out by the time I got home. Um,
0: that's healthy. I know.
1: Uh, but like, and I'll go on really long hikes now cause I can't run because of my knee, but I'll go on like 30, like 30 K hikes or whatever, like. And it's fine, Rachel. Um, And And
0: how's that going?
1: It's, you know, it it didn't go great one time, but (laughs) then, but every, but every other time. Yeah. Well, one time I like passed out in the woods and that's fine. Whatever.
0: Okay. So I I just want everyone. Okay. We need your response. Do you want me to tell the 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 story or
1: or what? No, no, no. Don't
0: tell the story. We need your responses in the comments. When Mike goes on his hikes, should he send Rachel his location so Mm. that if something happens, he you doesn't even buy wildlife.
1: <laughs> you can send a chopper my way and and airlift me out of there. It, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. It was I, I just because I go really I go really long and I go really far and and um because it's like the you know it's the only thing I, I I was addicted to running and I can't run so it's the closest thing I can get to it and it's beautiful. Do like, you
0: have hiking sticks?
1: No, I'm not a. <laughs> come on, Rachel. But <laughs> no, it's it's like uh, uh I. I just love going super long and super far and but BioSteel works so well like we're not, again we are not sponsored but this is my plea to, for BioSteel to to sponsor us because man this Correct. stuff is just so good and the thing is too is I can't like do you know if it's at grocery stores or stuff because it's not like can't find it like I can't buy like big packs the only thing I can do is go to this um, convenience Costco, store and,
0: and yeah, I'm but actually I don't- going I'm going to Costco this weekend, so I will.
1: I will, I will take literally
0: you
1: a pack. I will literally like like e transfer you money for that, and then you're if, not
0: e transferring me for BioSteel. I will get you some BioSteel. Oh, well, so look that at your this body functions. Look guys. at this
1: if friendship. You- when I was when I was when I was deathly ill too. This this stuff got me through it. Like it 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 helped me. All right. Speaking of um, I don't know BioSteel sports whatever. Being
0: hopped up on energy. Uh, the New York Rangers.
1: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so. I don't know what the devils are doing. I we thought this was gonna be the probably the closest series. That or maybe Minnesota in Dallas. Yeah, I
0: mean, we thought Minnesota and Dallas was gonna be like a ridiculous series. And it has been. It's been it, awesome. it has
1: it's been nuts. It's been great. But this, like I, I was expecting the and, and it's funny because I saw a um I think it was a tweet from a great account, Jake B. Leafs, on on, yes. on Twitter um and and he was going like devils are the are exactly what uh like devils are the the opposite of like a playoff team you know like they they're just this like they're like the canes you know like they're this big coursey they're they're like coursey hounds or coursey merchants i think he calls them and all their best players are 150 pounds you know like it doesn't and it's true okay
0: so that's a great point because like when we last episode we had johnny on right yes and like yeah Johnny grew up a Rangers fan and yes he covers the Rangers but Johnny also played extremely high level hockey like this guy played in the bean pot, right and so like he he understands the game and we talked about the styles right the the way the Rangers play being more translatable to the playoffs and we mm-hmm. had questions on whether or not the Devils style with the size of their forwards yep. Jack Hughes yes for Brott yes for Boquist like if they were going to be able to keep up that style in the playoffs when the going got tough and I think it's obviously very early but I think two games in what we've seen is that the the Rangers play style is more transferable to playoff hockey and they've really just stymied everything that that made the Devils successful I think the Devils are still a really good hockey team but I think it, it kind of reminds me of, like, the early-year baby Leafs. Yes. Where, like, the style that Marner and Nylander and Ma- were Matthews. playing... Even Matthews. And Matthews, to a degree, in the playoffs was just not going to fly. And now you look at it, William Nylander and Mitch Marner... Mitch Marner broke a franchise record um, in Game 2 against Tampa for, like, the most points in a playoff game, in the first two playoff games, by a Maple Leaf. So, like, mm-hmm. they altered they're more in the middle of the ice. There's more net front play. Um, there's more like kind of puck movement, give and go. It's not um, similar to kind of how the devils are playing. And and so they've kind of had to alter their play style. I think that the devils are going to get to that point because I mean, you're not going to have success if you can't cycle the puck in the playoffs. Like you're just not. You just
1: aren't. Yeah. And what they've, the thing, here's the thing too, is, and th- this again goes, it, it, there's a lot of similarities here with the, with the early Leafs, um, in that like their coach is starting to galaxy brain stuff. And oh. like, and, and I, like we were, you know, spoiler alert, Rachel and I were, we both covering the, the Leafs, uh, lightning game two yesterday in the press box. And I look at, look down at my phone and I get a, I get a notification. I turn to you and I go, Jonas Siegenthaler is a scratch tonight. Or, and you, or uh, I went like, Jonas Siegenthaler isn't playing. And you were like, he's hurt? Like, that's, I'm like, no, he's a scratch. And you're like, what? And it, the look on my face was like audibly shocked. It was flabbergasting. Why on earth would you, and not only that, so they, they scratch Jonas Siegenthaler, who, you know, is, is one of their best defensemen, legitimate top four guy. They just gave a big extension to him this last offseason. Um, he had a, he had a great year, or at least a very good year. Um, and, and and they scratch him and you look at it too is that they who they replaced him with is Brandon Smith and listen good for Brandon Smith for being able to or Brandon Smith for being able to um, like continue his hockey career after it looked kind of like on the on the outs when he had to get sent down to the AHL when he was with New York and stuff um, but you have you've Luke Hughes
0: yeah like you know it's bad cuz like you and I have had this conversation off air you know it's bad when even I am like, excuse me? No, Luke Hughes needs to play instead. Yes. Like, that's when you know. But here's the thing. Don't scratch Jonas Siegenthaler. It he's makes no sense. Best, he's their best penalty killer by, like, a wide margin. And you will be absolutely not shocked to find out that New Jersey gave up two power play goals Whoa. last night. When, Crazy. And, and, and Brendan Smith took 12 minutes in penalties. Um, but here's the other thing in game one, like I understand you lose five, one, you want to make a change in game one, Jonas Siegenthaler was the second best defenseman by expected goals for he Dougie Hamilton over the course of the series is below 30% in expected goals for, I'm not for a moment suggesting scratching Dougie Hamilton, but if you think my point is, if you think Jonas Siegenthaler is the problem, I need to know what you're evaluating And if you think Brandon Smith is better than Jonas Siegenthaler at anything but being big, we also need to have a separate conversation. Because you look at the Devil's decor and what are they? They are really good puck movers. And right now, they need guys who can break up the cycle and move the puck out effectively. Brandon Smith is not fast enough to break up the cycle, nor is he good enough at moving the puck to move the puck out. Jonas Siegenthaler is good at both of those things. And so for me, I think you nailed it. Like galaxy brain. Like yes. I, I, I couldn't believe it to me. It's a no brainer. You have Hamilton and Graves, Siegenthaler, Severson, Ball, and uh, whoever else you want to put there. I'm, I know I'm forgetting a defense. Uh, Marino.
1: Yes. Eh, yeah. I can't we believe go. we forgot John Marino.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying those are the pairings, but those are your six guys. And like, it's not particularly close. And I understand the hesitation of wanting to put Luke Hughes in because he's got like two NHL playoff games. But don't for a second galaxy bring yourself into thinking that Brendan Smith is going to have a better impact than Luke Hughes. Like you've got to be out of your mind. I am no Luke Hughes fan, but I will tell you that if you're choosing between the two, it's not a choice. It's Luke Hughes. And if you're choosing between Luke Hughes and Jonas Siegenthaler, it's also not a choice. It's Jonas Siegenthaler.
1: Yeah. I I don't, I, I just don't, I can't imagine that, Jogen, that Jonas Siegenthaler, like what the thought process was to get to him, to scratch him. Like, like.
0: Yeah, like I'm looking at his stats right now from game one um venue and score adjusted which is important mm-hmm. right so this is like obviously removes like the context of like you were trailing or you were leading he is above barely above 50 percent in shots four percentage fenwick four percentage coursey four percentage and expected goals four percentage the only devil's defenseman ahead of him is ryan graves so there is Actually no excuse for scratching him based on even strength play and certainly not on penalty kill play. Stop Galaxy braiding yourselves; You're being a silly goose. The other thing that I think is so funny based on the Twitter discourse is that Capo Caco has more points in this series than Jack Hughes.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild.
0: And Jack Hughes is objectively a better hockey player. No way. Like, let's get that out of the way. But every time the Rangers Rangers fans talk about Capo Caco doing something successful – devils fans feel this like weird insecure need to be like oh yeah but jack hughes dude like we already know jack hughes is a better hockey player like it, you don't need to make it about you all the time mm-hmm. it's fine capo can could be his own hockey player without you comparing him to jack hughes like it's fine every time matthews does something we don't compare him to Line. every time mcdavid does something we don't compare him to eichel like You don't need to do that. It's this inferiority complex that is actually insane. And now now that, like, if Kako outscores Hughes in this series, Rangers fans are going to be completely justified in absolute dunk jobs. Because we all know Jack Hughes is a better hockey player, but if you are going to be on your high horse all the damn time, sometimes you're going to get knocked off.
1: Yeah, uh, one thing I will add too is that um, in the universe of my NHL twenty three uh, be a pro, uh, where I'm the captain of the New York Rangers and a th- and uh, the reigning three time three in a row uh, Norris winner, um, elite despite being elite. 20, 22 years old um, in in that world, which means that we are I believe in the twenty twenty six twenty seven season. Um, Capo Caco uh, scored forty five goals for the Rangers last year. So if I
0: actually think Kako could be a 30-goal scorer in the NHL.
1: Yeah, Kako is coming along.
0: Yeah, like, I think he could be... You know, we talk about, like, a modern-day power forward. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, Matthew Kachuk is an elite power forward. But I think Capo Kako can absolutely be a middle six, probably more, like, of a top six power forward. He very, um, like, Zach Hyman type of... I think situation Zach Hyman had almost a hundred points this year. Like I'm not suggesting Kako's going to have a hundred points, but I think it's conceivable that he could have 70. Yeah.
1: Like it, it, he's listen, he he's coming up. If we're going to compare him to maybe like Lafreniere, then maybe like I, I'm more confident in CACO becoming a legitimate, like consistent NHL than Lafreniere is based on their performances so far.
0: Yeah. And I'm more confident in both of them improving once Gerard Galant is no longer the coach.
1: Yeah, look, I. <laughs> it's a shame because like Gallant does some things good. Like, sorry, does some things oh, well. Oh, he's a
0: good coach. He's, he's a, good coach. a good he just, coach. He just—he's just terrible with young players.
1: Yes, and he just doesn't seem to be the coach for this team. And I don't know why they would. I get why they went out and got him because he was pro- he was definitely the best candidate available when they let David Quinn go. But like, man, it, it's just you put him in place right as you picked f- first and then second. Or no, second and then first. Second
0: and then first. And yeah.
1: and so you have these two these two draft picks that are supposed to be like foundational pillars of your roster. they are
0: like fourth line,
1: and you're like, all right, let's have Gerard Gallant be the guy to like usher them through, you know? But then and it, let's
0: play them behind Barclay Goodrow.
1: Yeah, it makes no sense. But listen, we're we're complaining about the New York Rangers when they're up two nothing. They just took two games in a row on the road.
0: We need to talk about uh, the MVP in the series though,
1: Adam Fox. <laughs> without a doubt. He was, he was my he's, Norris pick.
0: Okay, so I pretty much every single game this season bet on Adam Fox to get an assist. Mm-hmm. I That man made me so much money this year. It's like nuts because he was plus money to get an assist until like the end of January, which is wild. And even right now, he's like minus 125. I'm like, hey, you should be like minus 200 to get an assist. He is rocking <laughs> And 85% score and venue-adjusted expected goals for share. 85%. Mika Zabanajad, 80%. So, like, when either one of those guys are on the ice, the Rangers are absolutely dominating. Like, running the show. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this, like, in every playoff series. If your best players outplay their best players, you win. Adam Fox is outplaying every single New Jersey Devil and Mika Zibanejad is outplaying every single New Jersey Devil. You know who else is outplaying every single New Jersey devil?
1: Tell me, tell me
0: Patrick Kane.
1: He's, he's having a good time, man. He had a great game too.
0: He has a 74%
1: expected goals for sure, which is funny because that is just like a complete, like, like almost 180, 180 (laughs) degree turn from what his numbers were like. During the regular season, he was in like the the first like the oh. oneth percentile, <laughs> the one percentile, Rachel of of like goals above replacement at five on five. Like it was insane, and yet boom, here he is. Old I, Patrick I'm not Kane. Saying
0: Patrick Kane's all of a sudden like a superstar again. But I think it's more indicative of the fact that one, Patrick Kane in the playoffs is not the same as Patrick Kane in the regular season, and considering where Patrick Kane at, is at in his career, if he, the Devils star players are being outplayed by Patrick Kane.
1: You've it got a, a huge problem. problem on your hands. Yeah.
0: Jack Hughes by expected goals for share is the 14th best player in this series. Yikes. If the Devils have a hope in hell of uh, he needs to be three behind Fox and at Otherwise they don't have a chance.
1: And they uh, don't think they do like it. Like this is.
0: It's, I still think this series probably goes six, but I think the road back for the Devils now is really tough. They're going to MSG. Yeah, I'm gonna say like those young players in the playoffs like Jesper Brad and yes and Jesper Boquist, Igor Sharankovich They have haven't
1: experienced this.
0: MSG in the playoffs it's different. that's like saying, Yeah, like it's it's like saying like I played in the playoffs versus I played at the Bell Center in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. It's just a it's different not beast, man. The same. And listen, like you're, you know, this is the this is the staff and graph podcast, man. Like it, we're, we're, you know, like by the name, it the name has graph in it. Okay, we're we do not usually put intangibles and stuff, you know, and and talk about you know like oomph factor and 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 all that <laughs> yeah. all that crap. But like, dude, the 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 intangible sort of the intangible aspect of playing in the playoffs in in Madison Square Garden. It's and different. the
0: other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, Mark Lazarus brought it up and it reminded me of something and it really bothers me.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, when I worked there, mm-hmm. there was a chant that our half.
1: Oh, building I don't know this, what this chant is. Say, what is it?
0: I, so it's, are you somebody allowed? He does like three whistles and it's Rangers suck Islanders. Um, gulp it down.
1: Islanders swallow. Okay.
0: Yeah, and Crosby watches. What in the in the year two thousand and twenty three? So when I was there in two thousand eighteen, that chant bothered me, and I said something. I was like, "We need to do something about this because, like, I understand fan atmosphere, but this is inappropriate." Whoa, and it us- And and the best part about it, Mike, is they'll do it when. The Devils are playing the Leafs. Like every game, every period without fail, it happens whether the Rangers are playing or not. The Rangers are so far in the heads of Devils fans that it's wild. So last night, Mark Lazarus pointed out that that is a wildly homophobic chant, and we probably need to move on from that in the year 2023. Now, the saving grace of that is that Rangers fans outnumber Devils fans in their own building. And that, that
1: happens a lot.
0: Because of how, and I don't think that's an indictment of Devils fans. I don't think it's fair to them. The Devils made playoff tickets so expensive and may have priced out a lot of their fans. I don't think that's right. And I don't think it's fair at all, personally. Um, But regardless of what happens, that chant has got to stop. And it's not all Devils fans. It's definitely like a subsection of them. And I guarantee you they're the worst people on Twitter, too. But that has got to stop.
1: I had no idea that that happened.
0: Every single game, every single period. At least twice.
1: How is that not...
0: If you're the Devils, how do you not put out a statement saying that in like, the hey year 2023, this not. is unacceptable? Get Nico Heischer to come out and say it. Get Tom Fitzgerald to Hughes come to out it. and say it. Get Jack Hughes to Get somebody with some weight behind it on New Jersey Devils letterhead to come out and say, that's enough. Because until you do it, you are complicit.
1: I'm flabbergasted by this. I had no idea that that happened. Like, this is the first, I'm, you You are now yeah. making me aware of it. And I, what on earth? Like, how has so this been I'm happening for, for so long? Five,
0: if there's a game five next week, I will be at that game. Yeah. I will video this.
1: Will you fight people?
0: No, I will not because I will be hidden in the confines of, Um, somewhere that I'm not going to let people find out where I am. Um, but to me, like I, I, it's not all Devils fans, but there is a subsection of them that are just genuinely gross people and it's got to stop. It has to stop.
1: Well, Rachel, um, are you, when you're there, are you going to, uh, are, are you worried that a player on the ice might try and fight you?
0: Uh, no, actually.
1: Well, then you're clearly not a, not a Leafs fan because, oh. boy, oh boy, um, I want to I make, before we even talk about the actual game, I want to talk about that because I'm, I saw particularly one person tweet, you know, the fans need to calm down. Um, so if you don't know, on two separate occasions, um, <laughs> players from the Tampa Bay Lightning tried to fight Leafs fans in the crowd from the penalty box. Now, so
0: before we go down this road, okay, okay, I okay. put it. I happen to know the head of MLS security mm-hmm. um, because of what my boyfriend did for a living. I asked him last night what happened to the penalty box, and very specifically, did a fan try and climb the glass?
1: No, and they didn't.
0: He said absolutely not. They were ejected for um, excessive alcohol. Uh, and banging on the glass nobody tried to climb the glass and that is coming from the head of mlse security so once again that guy is wrong
1: so here's another thing too. end of story yes so i don't so you you, they were they were so they were banned for like bang on the or not banned but like escorted out ejected if you will um for
0: for banging on the glass for
1: banging on the glass and for excessive alcohol so Unless
0: and MOLC is sensitive about the glass bang because yeah. of the Tai situation, of course, which yeah. I understand.
1: So they're very clear that like there was I, what I want to what I want to make a point of is like at least from we know, from what we know there was no like homophobic stuff being being no there like, was
0: nothing that and the other thing is it is the Scotiabank arena. Bank hmm where there are ESPN cameras, yep. Sportsnet cameras, yep. and nineteen thousand cell phones, if somebody tried to climb the glass at a Toronto Maple Leaf, it would be game, everywhere. Do you not think that video would be out by now?
1: It think would be everywhere
0: for, for one second. Use your brain, but yeah, from and and do you not think that somebody in that vicinity would have maybe leaked out that there were? Or or the player yes, exactly. probably would have said... Like, Tanner Janot would have been like, oh, he said a slur. Then everyone would have been like, okay, yeah, go beat the hell out of him. Yeah. That's fine. But Tanner Janot did not say that. Corey Perry did not say that. Patrick Maroon did not say okay. that. The Tampa Bay Lightning did not say that.
1: So I, I wanted to get that out there because I am I could not be more in favor of what happened last night. I I yeah. think that is exactly what the Leafs... Like, okay... So here's, here's here's basically my thought process on it. First of all, I think Patrick Maroon should probably have a hearing. I agree. He picked up his stick and tried to hit a fan with it and Corey Perry had to be had to like swat it down.
0: And I'm seeing people on Twitter be like no he was just pointing at a fan. He I'm was like, not Nobody points at a, at a fan with a javelin motion.
1: No one grabs a gun and then points it at the person and be like, it's that person, officer! Like, they don't... (laughs) No one does that. Like, that doesn't... That's not how it works.
0: (laughs) And Corey Perry, like, I think it should be pointed out that Corey Perry actually tried to stop Patrick So if
1: Corey Perry is the... I was talking... It's funny, because I was talking to my dad today about it, because he was watching it, and he he was like, dude, if Corey Perry is the voice of reason, like, (laughs) you're unhinged. Um, You've gone too far. But, like, so everyone talks about how quiet the Scotiabank arena is sometimes, you know, how fans aren't into it. And they, and here's the thing. And this is, this is Correct. my, this is my opinion, which, which means it is abject fact. Um, fans are like, the Leafs have the most one, at least one of the most attentive fan bases. The amount of people who like know every dude, like the, especially with, with like the cap gymnastics they've done, like they know every aspect of this roster.
0: And also anybody sitting just so like, Everyone's aware. Anybody sitting in those penalty box seats, the tickets yes. for those seats one are only available to season seat holders. They are not for sale to the general public. And two, if you would like season seats in that spot, it will cost you nearly fifty thousand dollars a year. These people are not poor.
1: So yeah, exactly. So what I like. <laughs> so here's the thing. The reason. The reason why. Um, I would say like, at least in the regular season and certain playoff games, like, like it it seems like the Leafs fans are quiet. It's not that they're not engaged or they're, they're stressed out of their minds because every time Leafs fans have gotten excited about something, the Leafs have then gone around, gone, like, you know, turned around and done something, um, to completely erase it. So fans are always on the verge of a mental breakdown sitting there, um, Number one, number two. So, so that's the biggest, I guess, sort of uh, uh, like like criticism of the in in arena atmosphere in Toronto. So then, when finally, you know, uh, fans start to actually f- they start feeling themselves and they start launching verbal verbal ju- you know jousts at, at the opponent, um, uh, the most battle tested opponent, by the way, and it gets under their skin. No one should be telling them to stop. No one should be telling that is. Like, it, it, no no objectionable, like, no no discriminatory language, no complete, like, it was used or if anything. they're
0: just chirping and banging on and the And they guys, are. You, and I think, I had this conversation um, with somebody last night who's a season seat holder in the Platinums. And he said, he is somebody that shows up in a suit during the regular season because he brings clients. Yes. In the playoffs, nah. he wears a jersey. Yeah. So what he said is, it's unfair for media and other fan bases to get on Leafs fans for being too quiet, but then also get on them if they're being rowdy. You either want one or you want the other. And then he brought up something that I had forgotten about, which is, how is what that fan did last night worse than what the Green Men were doing in Vancouver through their runs? And I loved the Green Men. I thought it was fantastic. But that's a great point is like you you're supposed to be in a hostile environment when you're playing away from your home. Your fans are supposed to make it a hostile environment for the away team. That's what home ice advantage is. And if we're at the point now where we can't bang on the glass, like what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, it's it's it was exactly what they like that's that also and let me just say if that like that happens in TD Garden all the time, and everyone says, "Oh, you know, what an endearing place! Oh, it's it's a it's a real battle zone. Oh, you don't want to go in there."
0: Audible homophobic slurs yeah. hurled at TD Garden. <laughs> like, it, wait like a just, minute here. So
1: everyone just shut up. Least like least fans had a blast last night, as they should have. The Lightning played terribly, um, and the Lightning also completely came apart at the seams. I have never seen a a like this is a three time you know they they this is a team cup that final. has made the cup final of the past three straight years they won uh you know two in a row before last year um you know like this is a team that is and and a lot of, like very a lot of that team is still together and all the player most of the players who who got involved in that you know in the in the scrum or the ruckus um uh uh last night they're still there and what boggles my mind is that they compl- like the lightning they wilted. They completely lost their minds.
0: They came. So when the in game one, when the Leafs were down, it, they the Leafs obviously Michael Bunting became completely unglued. But that was before the game was out of hand. It, yeah, Michael Bunting was the catalyst for the game getting out of hand in the first place. But what I'm saying is, is when the Leafs were down like six-one or whatever it was, like you didn't see them taking runs at guys and like dropping the gloves every four and a half seconds. But what I noticed and like, I went back and looked at some stuff in Tampa's history. When things tend to go poorly for the lightning, there are certain players that get really, really chippy. Nikita Kucherov did a bunch of stuff. He is as I tweeted it last night as one front office executive said to me, he is the king of getting away with crap that he shouldn't. He does things away from the play that are suspendable. He is honestly worse than Brad Marshan. It's just the cameras don't catch it. But he comes unglued. I think Stamkos and um, Hedman are always really good about like trying to remain calm. Same with Braden Point. But like Patrick Maroon, Corey Perry, um, Mikhail Sergachev, loose cannons. And all of them got ejected last night. They all did. Loose cannons. They became completely unglued.
1: Ian Cole was so frustrated at one point that he snatched the puck out of midair and threw it <laughs> behind him.
0: Which was so funny.
1: I we and the thing <laughs> is, we we couldn't really see like like what happened from the press box. Like you can't really see the min, like the absolute minutiae of that. You need a a, a replay. And when they did the replay, it looked like a Three Stooges thing. Like it looked like a like a like a Mister Bean skit where like he just throws it behind him. It was nuts. Um,
0: but let's talk about like this series because I think there's like a couple things. So first of all, like I have a a massive piece coming out at some point. Yeah. Um, breaking down the Leafs Lightning and basically breaking down like how the Lightning play in the regular season versus the playoffs, how the Leafs play in the regular season versus the playoffs, and why one team has been successful and the other team hasn't. And what I've noticed in this series and like last year was the same thing is game to game, the team that establishes the four check that is able to work off the cycle that wins the puck battles and that kills plays like defensively before the offense really starts rolling is the team that wins the game. Like that Tampa's fourth line has been the only effective line at five on five in this series so far, because Toronto's depth has been a massive issue for Tampa Bay. So like Sheldon Keith should use last night and understand that he can play Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly on different lines and Tampa can't handle it. Nick Paul, Anthony Cirelli, and Braden Point are all below 35% expected goals at 5-on-5 five five in this series, which means all three of them are losing their matchups. And that's a huge issue because Tampa's depth, obviously, when you win that much, like you're gonna lose Andre Pilate, you're gonna lose Yanni Gord, like you're gonna lose players. And in this series, when Keith kinda splits it up and doesn't stay beholden to these matchups, he can win the majority of the minutes because they can establish the four check and they can work off the cycle and they can kill plays and it's it's more of like a balanced lineup. So I think like that's the key in this series.
1: Yeah. It like the the Leafs the depth is overwhelming and especially you know like you said w- without, Hedman and Cernak, th- the, like the Lightning did not have an answer. They just well like, yeah. I'm... So
0: we talked about this last night, right? And I yeah, you and I were kind of throwing it back and forth. Without Hedman and Cernak, the one area that was like super noticeable was Tampa couldn't kill the cycle. So there were a bunch of times in Game Two where like the Leafs were in Tampa zone for like two minutes, yeah. and oh it was yeah, because. Hedman and Cernak are two of the NHL's best defensemen at stepping in and killing the cycle. But, like, Darren Radish is not out-muscling Ryan O'Reilly or any of, like, anyone of that ilk. Like, Mikhail Sergachev is fine, but he can only play so much. So, the loss of Hedman and Cernak, like, I said this last night. You and I talked about it. Like, if if they're out for the series and the Leafs don't win the series, that is... 100,000% One hundred thousand percent on the Leafs. Yeah, no questions. Because now, if you compare it to last year, there's no McDonough, there's no Hedman, and there's no Cernak. You should win that series, right? And and obviously, like you want Victor Hedman and Eric Cernak in the lineup. Like for me, for like the entertainment value of the series, I want them both to play.
1: Yeah, you want them both to play just for. But you know what? At the end of the day, like like the Leafs had to had to contend without you know like John Tavares when he got. Straight up decapitated, you know, in, in game <laughs> by one by Corey
0: Perry, no less.
1: Yeah, by Corey Perry, accidentally, we will add, but still, um, you know, they, they have they've had to they had to move forward without Jake Muzzin and basically their last like three straight playoff series with him. You know, they've had to deal with injury. Every team has to deal with injuries. The Leafs had to they've deal. They had
0: to deal with Nazem Kadri doing dumb stuff and Michael Bunting Twitter doing, doing the, dumb stuff. Yeah, Michael
1: Bunting just did the same thing. And we will get to the fact that I don't think he gets back in the lineup like it's, you know, so there's like injuries are a part of hockey. And anytime anyone wants to make an excuse, like you can look at another example and say, like, oh, well, this team did this without these guys. So Cernak and Hedman going out like if the Leafs end up winning without and those guys aren't able to make it back in the series, it will not mean any less than if they were there um, because it happens. Right. But
0: they absolutely should win. But without with, them without playing. those like, two, a,
1: yeah, it, it should be like it 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 should be like Leafson made like six max, like like without yeah. those two because you look at at their their answers on D, like Zach Bogosian and Hayden Fleury were the two that stepped in, I believe Zach Bogosian got kicked out of the game, so yep, um, so there's that, and then Hayden Fleury did absolutely nothing, and I love Nick Perbix, I think he's a great story um but he was on the top pair and he was a healthy scratch at certain times during the regular season um it was just Mikhail Sergachev and and a, and men that's about it man like it's it was it was tough it, you know Mikhail Sergachev and like Ian Cole and it, even it, Ian it,
0: Cole was a healthy scratch throughout this season a little bit like yeah. you basically Tampa's depth is being tested and when you have come as far as they have the past 3 seasons like your depth can get depleted and so I think that could be the difference in this series. It's obviously a shame that they're without Cernak and Hedman. I don't, like, in the same way, I don't feel bad that the Leafs are missing Bunting and Muzzin, whoever, like, I don't feel bad that they're missing Hedman and Cernak. I feel upset because I am somebody who wants to see the best players playing all the time. And maybe that would happen more often if we called penalties appropriately, but I don't want to get into that either because I'll get really mad.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're not going to talk about officiating. But, like,
0: it's bad. That's it. You know
1: who else is getting is getting tested? Is Andre Vasilevsky? Yeah, he has looked very. he's he has looked at best pedestrian and at worst disastrous. Um, in this, yeah, series. I think
0: he. They're asking him to be superhuman, and Andre Vasilevsky has thirty more playoff wins than the next closest goalie in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Like he has forty-eight wins, and the next closest guy has eighteen.
1: So if you're going to ask so, someone to be superhuman, it should be him.
0: Right. But he's also tired. He's
1: like, that's exhausted. a lot of
0: hockey. He's played hockey for 10 months out of the last three years, every year. So there have been 36 months and he's played hockey for 30 of those months. That's too much.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. And look, man, it, it's it's getting to him. But if. But he could always do the thing if vasilevsky is 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 feeling rough like if vasilevsky is not on his is not on his game they're done like they're it, it's, done. it it just seems like the it after after the literally the worst case scenario in game 1 i mean it just seems like the you know like the uh, the clouds are parting here for the Leafs. like like the the, pa- the you know the stage is getting set for them to finally do this thing because so many of these factors are are you know, they're, they're starting to lean in their favor. They're, they are finally getting, you know, like the, the luck that was going against them for so long. You know, other teams are losing key players. The goalie is having a tough, you know, after a good season is having a tough stretch. You know, their fans are are, are making waves. Uh, and the other team is actually is the one that's losing their minds. You know, so it's, it's big. Anyway, um, Vegas and Winnipeg also played last night. And, uh, you know, we talk about teams that blow leads, man. The Winnipeg Jets. I, I was shocked that they won the first game and that people were, were saying, hey, you know, um uh, you know, the Winnipeg Jets are, are they're gonna pull off this upset. They have Vegas' number. And then Vegas comes out and says, No, they don't. Well, Let's okay, so I think of. this
0: series is tighter than like the standings would in, indicate. But this is like we're talking about big boy hockey in this, this series. Is, yeah. Like these are two this is Big boy hockey.
1: This is physicality, baby.
0: Yeah, like this is truculence and this is Brian Burke hockey is what it is. And what in the first two games, whoever, like the way Bruce Cassidy coaches um, and the way Winnipeg plays, whoever wins the middle of the ice is going to win the game. So if you're able to transition with speed, enter the zone with speed, um, move the puck to the middle of the ice and, and create scoring chances, you're probably winning the game. And that's exactly what Winnipeg was able to do in Game One. In Game Two, Vegas completely stifled them. They were played much more Bruce Cassidy um, style hockey, mm-hmm. and it was exceptionally apparent that Winnipeg was having serious problems. And then, does anybody like scoring goals in the playoffs more than Mark Stone?
1: I, you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to find someone.
0: Like he scored last night, and when he jumped into the glass, like I got amped up.
1: Yeah, he was. I was like, yo,
0: like, let's go, baby. But Winnipeg dominated the middle of the ice in game one, and they dominated the game. Vegas took away that speed and those chances. They dominated the middle in game two, and they dominated game two. Like, that's pretty much the story. There's a story in the Tampa series, there's a story in the Winnipeg Vegas series. Like, that's kind of how it is. And it's basically who wins a certain key aspect of the game. And I think in this particular case, um, you've seen it go back and forth. Obviously, Winnipeg has the advantage in net. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Laurent Brossois, with due respect, is not Connor Hellebacher.
1: The fact that Brossois is the one starting is, is nuts.
0: It's actually wild. Like, honestly, I understand with, like, Jonathan Quick, but, like, Jonathan Quick's playoff record is pretty good. So, yeah. I mean, I'm also not going to question Bruce Cassidy, but, like... Connor Hellebuck. Even if Quick does play, Connor Hellebuck is better than Jonathan Quick, so it doesn't matter. But um, I think Winnipeg's going to need some Hellebuck to steal probably two more games if if they're to win this series.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's uh, look, Connor Hellebuck is it, you. You could have just you could have said Connor Hellebuck is going to need to steal them some games for them to do anything. That's basically their their business <laughs> model. You know, like that is this that, is yes accurate. That's how they operate. It's just, it's Connor Hallebuck, you know, holding up everybody and, and, you know, like if you're able to get Mark Shifley to play defense even a little bit, you know, maybe that'll help. But that's about it. That's all you can ask oh,
0: for. Yeah, pretty much. All yeah. right. Should we, Colorado, Seattle. Um, oh man. We thought this was going to be a, like a walk in the park, a bloodbath. It's been not that.
1: I thought this was going to be are, a mask. What master? are your impressions? This is nuts. Like like in, here's what I love about Seattle is that they're feeling it. They like they swag and or swagger matters so much in the playoffs. Teams who believe in themselves, teams who, you know, they they they, you know, teams that believe them to themselves to be better than they are in a productive way. You know, like teams who hold themselves like they're champions even though they aren't. You know, their teams like I feel like the Leafs felt that like they were better than they really are in, in, in series. And that led to them maybe either not trying or, or, you know, not, not, not trying, but like that led to them, that led to their downfall in a certain way. Um The Kraken though, like we got, we got, we got Brandon Tana blowing kisses to to fans after yeah, he scores. So great! Like they're, they are feeling it and I love it. Like Seattle doing well is good for hockey. You know, we all know that, like, like, you know, we all what would be amazing for hockey, just like for its its viability moving forward is if their two most recent expansion teams went on long playoff runs within their first two years of existence. That would be amazing. And that's potentially what can happen here if they knock off the friggin defending Stanley Cup champions. The fact that they took a game at home. From the, from the Colorado Avalanche is huge. And then on top of that, like they, they very likely could have won the game last night. It was 3-2. They like they were they were well, in it.
0: I would say like the score, they were in it from a score perspective, but yeah. Colorado well, Avalanche. They turned it cured. on, like, yeah. They said we're the Colorado Avalanche and went with the dial. And that was pretty much the end of that. Um, Philip Grubauer has been fantastic, but I think um, Thomas Drance pointed this out mm-hmm. um, and he does great work. Um, Out in Vancouver, he's doing some stuff for Seattle as well. Um, Seattle's bottom six is a bigger factor in this series than I think a lot of people pegged it to be. And I think it's a bigger factor because if you look at how Seattle's constructed, they're not constructed the way Colorado is, which is like super top heavy with superstars. Seattle's like a bunch of dudes who are better than the sum of their parts, right? Like Jared McCann is probably not scoring 40 goals again next year, but he played better. Jordan Eberle, the same. Oliver Bjorkstrand, the same. Ellie Tolvenin was a waiver wire pickup. So was Daniil Strong. Like these, if you put them all together, Dave Haxtall, who was kind of a coach that everybody thought really poorly of, has done a great job of tactically and systematically getting these guys to be better than the sum of their parts. And in particular that you talked about Brandon Tanev, Yeah. but the bottom six of Seattle is grossly outplaying Colorado's
1: bottom six. Colorado is a, a remarkably top heavy team. Like, and, and this, this goes back to, it's weird that they didn't go out and get a big forward piece. I know, I know they were, they were banking on getting healthy and people coming back, but like, first of all, they're really, I think if
0: they know that Landis isn't coming back, they go and they get something else.
1: Yeah that's right, well, my assumption. Yeah, and he was back on the ice and thing but like for him to be ruled out for the rest of the playoffs before they even begin, that that's a tough blow and I can't imagine I can't imagine how that would have been like a surprise, you know. It like, could be
0: honestly um depending on the injury uh, it could be like you have a setback um and it's something where yeah, it's like true. if you aggravate it then you can um seriously aggravate the injury. The one thing I think they deserve credit um because we see the opposite happen way too much is they're not allowing landis God to jeopardize his health good even though they could really use him you know what i mean like we found out yesterday that patrice bergeron played in montreal because his father had cancer and that he probably shouldn't have played but he really wanted to play because it might be the last time like he may retire and like While I'm very much like sit a player out if they're even like remotely injured, especially if it's Bergeron, when something like that happens, you let him play. Um, But now Boston has sat him out. They've lost a game. He is not playing in games three and four. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not like Boston couldn't use Patrice Bergeron in the same way that Colorado can't use Gabe Landeskog. But I think both teams deserve credit for just saying, nope, not happening. Yeah. Rather than letting a guy play with like, I don't know, some obscene injury that's gonna cost him like four
1: surgeries (laughs) 100 all right rachel i think that's about it for today i think that is i think that is all right so you know obviously we'll be sticking around for uh some great playoff coverage moving forward and uh yeah it's gonna be a blast so so make sure to tune in next week when we uh we're back in your in your ear holes if you will um rachel i will see you then Everyone else enjoy enjoy your weekend and uh yeah peace out